Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. Welcome to Ruthie's Table 4, a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. I would like to remember exactly when I met Sam Taylor Johnson. Was it at the Tate in 1998 when she was awarded the Turner Prize? Or the day she entered the River Cafe, a beautiful young woman with her first baby, Angelica, in her arms? Was it when she came to see Richard with a book of her astonishing photographs? Were we just invited to a wild and glamorous party in her home that was part of, as Sam says, the blur of what London was in the late 90s? And when was the last time I sat with Sam? Was it in a bar with the love of her life, Aaron, or recently when they missed a flight to Sicily and joined a lunch? And how often have I asked, where is Sam? In London, preparing to direct her Amy Winehouse movie, trekking in Nepal, in the south of France with Elton, or looking for a school in Somerset for her young daughters. The one thing I can always know is that wherever she is, whatever she is creating, Sam is an extraordinary woman. I love her. Oh. <laughs> How do okay. I go into that without <laughs> tears streaming down my Well, cheeks. we go into it with food. <laughs> We can start off with a recipe that you chose, yeah. which is risotto with porcini and gerols. One kilogram of mixed fresh porcini and gerols, cleaned and chopped. Extra virgin olive oil, one garlic clove peeled and finely chopped, one teaspoon of fresh thyme, one liter of chicken stock, 100 grams of unsalted butter, one medium red onion finely chopped, 300 grams of risotto rice, 250 milliliters of extra dry vermouth. Now, that's the thing that sends me running around the house when I'm about 10 minutes into cooking it, just like, do we have vermouth? Do we have vermouth? Uh, read a recipe twice. 200 okay. grams of Parmesan, freshly grated. Um, I actually cooked this last night. I thought I'd practice just to remind myself what happened about five minutes in. Aaron, Aaron's here. What did, what happened? <laughs> Where the f*** is the vermouth? Do we have vermouth? I can't make this without the vermouth. I'm going to go. so annoying. Everyone was running around trying to find no, the vermouth. No, no, no. It's but it's what makes it. In a frying pan, heat three tablespoons of olive oil. Add the mushrooms with the chopped garlic and thyme. Season and fry for a couple of minutes until any liquid has evaporated. In a saucepan, heat the butter with the remaining olive oil. Add the chopped onion and cook until the onion is soft. Add the rice and stir. Now, what's so great about this recipe is it's really good if you want to have people around for dinner but not necessarily engage with them the entire mm. time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I because can't talk you have, to you about the latest movie. I'm stirring a risotto. Yeah. Exactly. I'm, yeah. I'm stirring a risotto. But it sort of also gives you something to do. So you're, you know, you're active yeah. if you're not sure what to talk about. It's sort of a perfectly sociable, unsociable 
meal to cook. Pour in the vermouth and cook until it's been absorbed, stirring all the while, then adding the hot stock, ladle by ladle. Continue to cook until the rice is al dente. Add the wild mushrooms, the remaining butter, the parmesan and the chopped parsley, and mwah, the best risotto ever. Good. It's comforting risotto too, But this too, was the it? first thing I ever cooked from your cookbook, which is why I think uh, it was in one of the earlier ones. Yeah. I'm uh, going to be brave and attempt a risotto. Did you cook when you were a kid? Did you? Were you no? no, not yeah. at all. I didn't grow up in an environment where cooking was celebrated. Food was made hmm. to eat, to yeah. live. Um, frozen pizzas, mm-hmm. margarine. You know, that, that was food to put in when sure. you come home from school, make for yourself and and eat just to, yeah. you know, survive. So make for yourself. So would you yeah. sit down to a family meal or was everybody oh, kind I of taking care of themselves? I almost can't remember family meals. Mm. So I think that's, again, why I feel so excited about a kitchen very alive with food being cooked and bread being baked and aromas mm. and activity mm. because ours was definitely not not that mm. environment sometimes i talk to people who grew up with the romantic idea of the family sitting down to a family supper mm. and sitting and talking about the day and some some people described having a mother that worked the night shift or a mother or father who came home from work and were exhausted or they came home from work and they would prefer to do homework with you than cook. I mean, there are many reasons Mm. why the image of the family meal perhaps is somewhat romanticized, but it is important, something that, as you say, we we try and create for our kids. But you didn't have a role model for that. So you had the no. reverse, but you changed it for your own family. I did have the, the reverse. And, it, and you know, sometimes, especially doing something like this, you, you sort of look back and try and find that memory. Now, I definitely remember my mom made a dish that she would be proud of, which was a rabbit dish with mustard, I think, la panne yeah, de quite sophisticated. Yeah. But that was something that was, that would come out, I don't know, it would be a big thing. Yeah. Um, but the rest of the time, it was more survival. Hmm. What was say. she doing or your father doing? Was your father there? It was who, my stepfather, who, really, who, I could, who my sort of that part of my life is more of a memory. Mm. And so do you think they were doing other things rather than cook or did they just not It's a complicated that? history and it's hard to go into, not because... Not because it is sort of full of sort of trauma and pain, but it's more that I actually have this sort of almost blackout of I don't actually have that much memory from that time in my life. And also, if I do go into it or I talk about it, I sort of feel or hope that I've evolved to a place where I don't don't want to sort of talk about it with malice. It's not that they were working. I think it was more struggle, survival and Mm. mental health, to be Mm. honest, and a Mm. lot of... A lot of just um, difficult scenarios. Yeah. Did you have grandparents? Were your parents gr- yeah, grandparents but they, involved? They, they died when I was quite young, so I don't really have a memory of them in terms of, you know, I had sort of, I had a great auntie Gladys and a great uncle Les who I felt very close to who lived in Shepherd's Bush. So there was a lot of time around their house in Shepherd's Bush and they were very much the sort of meat and two veg. Were they? And I remember going home one day and saying to my auntie Gladys, I was like, I won't. I can't have roast chicken. I'm a vegetarian, and mm. she said, "Well, chicken's not really an animal. It's not really an animal. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you can eat it. <laughs> I can't." 
but uh, but that was a sort of stability for me. They were the you know the stable hold, the home yeah. where I would go to as a student to know that I could be fed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Did you? struggle with food did you enjoy it did you in, when you, yeah and did I, you have I, school lunch when you were I did but I was a free school dinners kid so I was you? in the opposite queue to my friends well they had different queues they had different queues that's disgusting <laughs> it was the queue on the left which oh, was the so you know the regular queue out of Dickens isn't I know. It? I know. <laughs> and then yeah. there was the free school dinners line and and I wasn't always in the free school dinners line there were moments where I was in it and there were moments where I could bounce over to the other side and I just always remember the dread of, oh, today I have to go in the free school dinners line. And and that feeling of just like, oh, you know, feeling separate from all your friends and and just that sort of feeling of a little bit of shame that comes with yeah, that. Yeah, a little or maybe a lot. So you had school lunches and then came yeah, school home lunches and then home, yeah, mostly, yeah, frozen pizzas. Where did you grow up? Um, firstly, in London until I was 11 in Streatham. And then after that, we moved to the countryside, to Sussex. But that was a big shock. I was wow. terrified of trees. Are you? It was yeah, so funny because yeah. I was such an urban girl until yeah. then. And then the idea that I had to walk down these country lanes with trees, it was mm. quite funny. Interesting because a lot of the people that I've talked to think about the way they struggled in their youth, whether they were from another country, whether their parents were uncomfortable in being in England, whether they, um, or in the United States, wherever they were, people who struggled with money, um, with divorce. And, and all this is to do, you know, with food and mm. how those memories um, evolve. And also, I don't know if you feel, but they measure, and I don't know if you do, measure their almost their success by being able to order something delicious on the menu. Mm. Paul McCartney <laughs> being able to order a good glass of wine mm. was something, a way that they measured their, their own success. Do you Absolutely. feel that? Totally. I mean, we never ate out, so eating out really came to me in adult life. And I yeah. think that the first time I realized food was for pleasure yeah, yeah. <laughs> was actually a, um, a college trip to Rome or post-college, I can't really remember, but we went to a you know, small little restaurant and mm-hmm. I ordered something because I had absolutely no idea what to expect. Is it tagliatelle with lemon, mm-hmm. lemon pasta. Mm-hmm. And I remember eating it and just having this sort of total you know, explosion of flavour and, and thoughts and feelings about is this what food can can be yeah. and and that feeling of tasting something which just kind of completely opens your your mind to potential i mm. guess and that and that you know it wasn't expensive it was affordable and that i could eat this amazing food and not frozen pizzas mm. was when, a revelation when, yeah, that's about, yeah. <laughs> and probably in my sort of probably when i was about 19 i think and you went to art school. Then I went to art school in Hastings, which was, was like a like? massive turning point of excitement in my life. Yeah. And then after that, into London for art school. I always think it's another conversation about artists, mm. that creating art is a very solitary yeah. activity that you are in your studio and you paint and everybody 
sort of had this kind of wild nights of eating and drinking together because mm. it was so solitary during the day. Did, yeah. did you find that or was it? Was yeah, there... I, think, I think art school for me was like a huge door had opened into a world of so much possibility and excitement. And I feel like for the first two years when I was at Hastings, I was just sort of wide-eyed and in sort of slight shock that I was in this environment and just kept very quiet. And then I went to North East London Polytechnic, which was a very robust sort of shipbuilding yard mm. feeling because I was in the sculpture department. And then I, I left there after the first year and went to Goldsmiths, which by comparison felt like a sort of Swiss finishing school mm. because people were very elegant and they were talking about ideas. And I, mm. and I, again, I felt very like I was sort of sitting on the outside watching and feeling this environment being so alien. Was that the days of Michael Craig Martin and Damien yeah. and, and Tracy? It and was. And and the freeze had just happened, so there was a lot of debate around this huge exhibition that had sort of thrown all these young artists that were still mm. at art school onto the map. And there was a sort of freeze and an anti-freeze. Mm. And, and I just sort of sat again and sort of listened and felt the debates between everything and everyone, but sort of also knew I was in the eye of a storm and eye of a, of a mm. very exciting transitional moment in the art world because these artists like Damien had a studio outside mm. of art school and was already you know functioning as an artist and selling and having exhibitions and mm. Gary Hume and Sarah Luca you know it all was just this sort of bubbling energy that I felt but didn't quite know how to access because I was mm. still sort of feeling a bit quiet on the outside it really took Going to Tracy Emin and Sarah Lucas had a little shop in, mm. in the East End just off of Brick Lane. And it really took going to that little shop to feel that anything was possible, mm. that anything they made was art and they were artists and they were allowing th themselves to be that. And it was that moment for me that was quite pivotal in understanding I could allow myself to be an artist, mm. that I, I could actually sort of say it out loud and actually yeah. be creative. And I yeah. think up until then, you, you know, you sort of feel like you're um, in the wrong place at the wrong time and, and you're not meant to be there, feeling. Were you as adventurous in your, I guess, development as an artist as maybe in food? Did you go to Chinese restaurants or Indian restaurants? Did you Indian drink tequila, drink whiskeys or No, Indian or, restaurants was yeah. was absolutely where we all went because once I kind of, once I you know, became friends with Tracy, we all would, you know, sort of be in that neighbourhood and we'd all, you know, go in and out of all the different Indian restaurants around that area and find our favourites and, and that's where we would gather. I felt like um, exactly how you said earlier about McCartney saying it was a measure of success. I'm growing into my own person because mm. I understand food. Mm. I'm growing into my own person because I can take myself to a restaurant and yeah. I can actually order something that's completely different to anything I've ever tried before. Mm. And I think it is. It's a feeling of, one, you're sort of stepping into being an adult, but also you're stepping into um, sort of a feeling of new success, not necessarily you know, huge financial success, but beginning to be able to take yourself places. Yeah. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Help helps is a maxim I believe in. We all carry around stress and hardship, and when we keep it inside, 
it starts to chip away. Therapy is a safe place, and therapy is for everyone. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit betterhelp.com slash Ruthie today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ruthie. Betterhelp.com slash Ruthie. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. My first job as a waiter would have been um, when I was at school. I worked in a local beef eater steakhouse and used to have to wear a beef eater uniform. Little apron, um, little apron. And then um, Vic Naylor's in Clerkenwell. Do you remember Vic Naylor's in Clerkenwell? It was a great restaurant, and I, I mean, it was just fun, fun, fun. But it was also terrible because I used to. We all used to get absolutely trashed. And I remember going to a table, and someone said, "Do you have any bread?" And I said, yes, let me go and get it. And then it was just up the road from St. John. And I said, quick, where's the bread? They're like, oh, we don't have any. Can you run to get some from St. John? (laughs) Absolutely. I ran to St. John. And then my then manager was sat at the bar. He said, come and have a drink with me. I sat down and had a drink, (laughs) which turned into two. And I was like, oh, the bread. Bread. Quickly got the bread from St. John and ran back. I was like, I've got you some bread. It was about an hour ago. This place is terrible. Let me see the manager. Huh. Let me go and get him. <laughs> I'd run down to St. John, pull him out the bar. And I, the whole story is that he then went up and said, you asked to see me. Yes, the service is terrible. He said, yes, I agree. Now you should leave. <laughs> <laughs> what year was that? That was uh, right after I left art school. So, oh, 90, yeah. maybe. Yeah, times have changed, I think. Yeah. Do you think? And maybe there's still those places, but we've all become much more. Do you know the story about Damien? And, and, um, which one? The, which one? <laughs> the one at um, the Groucho Club where he, he and Ant got oh, completely Ant, yeah. trashed. At, at, uh, do, you know, do you know this? No. And well, I had just, I banned somebody from the River Cafe for being rude to one of my waiters. Yeah. And I was telling the story, I was telling Ant, and he said, well, Damien and I went, and we got completely you know, trashed and we were, they closed the doors and we were kicked out and we went on the street and then we found a ladder and we climbed up and we um, broke a window, we came in and then we got sick over the pool table and then we went and got some alcohol out of the out of the fridge and we drank that and then we, you know, we took something and we crashed out on the sofas and Marianne, the manager, came in the next day and she said, you know, I could call the police, you broke and you enter, you damaged my property 
and you stole stuff, you know. But instead of calling the police, I am going to ban you for 24 hours. <laughs> 24 hours. You know? so brilliant. Those were the days. I and I had a customer who just was, was slightly rude to somebody. And, he's, and I said, he could never come back again. You know, that's the difference. It is said. the measure of a person. Well, that's why it's good to. Yeah. I think people date people in restaurants, you know. You go mm-hmm. on a date and see how they are to the waiter or you interview yeah. lots of people. Have you ever interviewed anybody for a job in a restaurant totally yeah yeah i had on this morning before i came here i I met with someone to hire for the movie actually yeah oh Oh, perfect 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 and brilliant good 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 and so from from being in art school and then being an artist what was it like in the once you were all Working and and I hate to use the word successful, but mm. successful when you and Jay lived in that house and mm. parties was food. Did you care about food then? Did you think that you all wanted, or was it was it important uh, it's hard, to you? It's hard to sort of cast my mind to that era because it's that thing. I think Coco Chanel said it. It's you know I'm six people away from the person I once was. I think. Yeah. I sometimes feel like that, and so when I think back to those times, I think of myself as a very different person. Um, and and so so much sort of shift and change within myself happened during that period. I was suddenly sort of living in this very sort of grand house and living a very different life, and and it was all sort of fast rolling and high octane. Mm. And fast rolling and high octane is fun, and then you can't. It's so hard to maintain, yeah. and and I couldn't maintain it. And I definitely sort of felt like, you know would throw these parties and then I would disappear off at about 10 o'clock. I remember. Do you remember? Yeah. The part that you didn't um, talk about or we haven't talked about in terms of food and being an artist and mm. in that lifetime was when you were ill. Yeah. And and the diet that you then, and I remember yeah. very well your mm. your rigor in dealing with your illness in Mm. in the way you ate. And I think it was really before a lot of us thought about food and health. Mm. And you were unhealthy and you used food to think about health. And um, you also took, you know, you went the scientific route. So you you went for the medicine and for the, the, but it was an alternative. You you did it, but you did do a diet. I remember you very clearly talking to me about no dairy yeah, I mean, I have to sort of almost step outside of myself to talk about it. But, yeah, 1997, six months after I had Angelica, who's my eldest of four daughters, um, I got diagnosed with colon cancer. And, of course, it was, you know, a shock. But there was such an urgency in my mind to be well and to get back home and be a mother and be present that I just sort of, you know, almost jumped out of the hospital bed and I'm back, I'm fine. And and then three years later, I got diagnosed with breast cancer. And uh, and then I didn't leap out of bed and I didn't say, I'm back, I'm fine. Yeah. I sort of quietly retreated into myself, I think. And I went to a very sort of almost a, a totally different personality to somebody I knew myself as in a way mm-hmm. in order to figure out a way to get through it and it's it's a trauma and in that trauma um you have to sort of figure out what are my options what are my options of survival and obviously when you're in it you're not thinking 
clearly in that way. But, you know, it was very much a, the first time I didn't take it seriously almost. Mm. Second time, I'm going to take this very seriously. Mm. <laughs> you know, I want to live. I want to be a mom and be around. And uh, that was my, you know, that was the thing. I had Angelica as my purpose and goal to survive for. You know, it was chemotherapy, mastectomy, and everything medical mm. that I could. But at the same time, I knew that I had to support that for myself with, I had acupuncture. Mm. I gave up I gave up drinking and the party life, and I gave up, you know, anything that I felt was detrimental to my health. Sugar, I gave up dairy, and I've pretty much Is that still? That. Do you mm-hmm. still not have... Yeah, okay, let's not be too puritan. I, sugar, yes, there's every so often, but it's, yeah, yeah. I'm conscious about eating yeah. it, and I'm conscious about if things have... You know, I'm very strict about milk, very strict about cheese, Butter, I'll allow it mm. in, you know, and I'm not going to be too, because there's also a point where you just have to, you know, you have to function in the world. And, and you know, there was probably at least five years where I was absolutely, I would mm. read every ingredient mm. and nothing mm. could be, because I was frightened, you know, yeah. and fear is a very good reason to make mm. sacrifices and changes in your life. I just yeah. shifted into a completely different person in a way. Would you tell somebody who came to see you that if they had... Cancer mm. in any form? Would you would you say to them to try this to do this? It's diet? hard it because you, you don't. It, it's difficult because also you know there's, there's varying. You know your case is different to the next person. Mm. To the next person, to what level you have it, or you know, it's hard to um, advise people in that way. We talked about. But I tend food. to people who are in it. I try to be, you know, get up in the morning, put on a great song, move around, yeah. call people when you're feeling down. I try mm. to sort of keep it. You know, let, let's keep it in a in a place where we're going to get through this. It's a yeah. job. Yeah. It's a job. And, you know, it's also, you can't, people say, well, you're so brave to have gone through it. But it's not bravery that gets yeah. you through it because it doesn't mean that people who haven't survived aren't brave. Getting through it is, you know, a, a, an amount of medical intervention, amount yeah. of luck in terms yeah. of diagnosis and, and what you can then do to support all of that. Yeah, but when you talk yes. about the energy or the, you know, the getting up and mm. doing, that has shown that actually that kind of activity mm. with any illness, with grief, you know, yeah. I say that having been through grief in my life that I sort of know the drill, mm. you know, which is you get out of bed or you, or, I mean, you can stay mm. in bed and cry all day too, that's fine. But the, from, you know, the yeah. activity and that. And we, it we, is, and the support of, you know, friendships. Yeah. When I was when I would have chemo, I'd have, like, Gary Hume and Georgie and yeah. Johnny Shankill and friends would, you know, they'd Just bring food and sit around yeah. and sort of laugh and sit with me for yeah. a few hours. Yeah. And, you know, you'd, you'd sort of feel, you know, the chemo going through your veins. But on the other hand, you could be eating some strawberries and chatting yeah. with friends yeah. and watching... Watching everyone just, you know, support you in that way. And I think, and yeah, and that's also, you know, that was definitely sort of food related in the sense that, you know, chemo can taste bad in your mouth. It's Mm. sort of metallic-y. And my friends had researched that a little bit. And I've always heard if you have, you know, some boiled sweets or if you have this or, and then another friend, mango, mango is really good. Rose ate mango. Yeah. That's interesting to say that because Rose Gray, who started the River Cafe with and, and had breast cancer, just found that... She, I, mean, I always say that she ate her way through chemo, you know. Yeah. She just ate everything. But she not, she was careful, and, yeah. um, as she was before she got sick. But she loved having mangoes. Yeah, know, serotonin, was, I think, yeah, it's good for. But so I think good. it's also... I mean, still now, really, 
education around nutrition and what's mm. you know what's good for you to live like i said as a mm. keep the machine at optimum level <laughs> you know and and maintenance we maintain our cars sometimes mm. better than our bodies i think The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Hey, my name is Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, my name is Hamish. I am one of the chefs here at the River Cafe. One of the sauces or dishes that I think is very special to us and is coming back onto the venue a bit more often is our banya calder. Um, we make this sauce by reducing down a bottle of Italian uh, red wine or champagne or prosecco and then we melt in about 12 to 15 cloves of garlic, anchovies and this creates a really intense, salty, amazing uh, base to a sauce then copious amounts of butter to make it extremely smooth, silky and just rich and delicious. That is I my favourite. I would have butter. anchovies on, on sourdough bread. It's the saltiness of the anchovy too, mm. isn't the butter? But, but um, I think growing up, what it equates to, see, that would be my... I'm successful and knowledgeable and I can eat anchovies on toast. It comes from growing up with marmite on toast. Oh, yes. I, it's, it's one of those. <laughs> and marmite on toast for me has been a constant, constant from childhood yeah. all the way through my Good. student life, artist life. So I was talking about the solitariness mm. of being an artist, but what about, as I go back to the to the cinema, when you directed Noah Boy mm. or when you directed Fifty Shades of Grey, do you mm. do you think about how you feed the people on the set? Does that important to you? The way you stop for food break? Was was Anderson said he hates a lunch hour because it makes everybody stop and then yeah. you have to get tired and then you, but you, you know he tried to give everybody soup but then the crew wanted <laughs> meals. How do you deal with? Uh, oh, it's you know, interesting. Being on a set? I feel absolutely with Wes in that way that I don't like when everyone stops for lunch, but at the same time, I do like the 
communal break of everyone sitting and sort of literally digesting what we've done and talking around food. And I always try to make sure we have reasonably good caterers so that everyone's just sort of enjoying that time rather than just complaining, ugh, this is disgusting. Was there a difference in doing Nowhere Boy and Fifty Shades of Grey from... I'm sure there was. I can't remember, remember? Fifty Shades yeah. had own, its own trauma. But um, <laughs> but we, we yeah. Aaron and I made a movie in 21 days. Um, we, did, we made a million little pieces and... It was the yeah, smallest, oh yeah. smallest, smallest budget, but we had the best, best food. Mm. There's delicious. a food culture feel very different from Los Angeles. We're from You've LA. moved from L.A. to, yeah, to, back to the English countryside. To the English countryside. Mm. So, I mean, so it, what about food? I How mean, does that feel different? It's a culture? radical shift, not in our house because we cook the same things, but definitely a different culture of... Um, well, the difference is uh, 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 avocados. There's, there's mm. certain things that grow differently. Mm. So, avocados. you know, yeah, when you're we were West we Coast, so if you had these sort of, you <laughs> know, anything Californian or from Mexico, the avocados are different. So guacamole is, like, amazing. Oh, have yeah. avocados here, they're sort of imported from Spain and they're hard and they're... And they're there's just no point. There's no so point. There's no point in avocado on toast. Yeah. So just I don't really, eat that over here. I really like, respect that you said that, okay. Aaron, because it is it's to do with the ingredient. Absolutely. Yeah. What about, do you go to fewer restaurants here? Did you eat out more in L.A.? We did, probably, I think. But we are in the middle of nowhere. But it was nowhere, more urban so. there, too, probably. Yeah, yeah, and there was a, I don't know, it was a different, I had a sort of different routine, I think, there for food. You know, I was really into, and I'll have a shake, and yes, put, could you put some reishi mushroom and a little yeah, bit yeah. of this and a little bit of that? And there, everyone seems so knowledgeable about what, you Nutrition, know, yeah. about um, what each ingredient of this certain mushroom is going to give you. You know, this one's mm. for the brain and cognitive function, and this one's for memory, and this one's for your liver, and this one's for, you know... Not, so I was getting quite yeah. good at all of that and yeah. understanding how it was going to benefit me. And then, you know, I, I got here and I was like, where am I going to get my charger? Yeah. <laughs> do you drink my coffee? Do I yeah, drink coffee? I do. I'm yeah, new do to coffee. Yeah. You're very new to coffee. But, but like the American coffee was just the sort of the diner coffee. Was just, yeah, the, was it, yeah, just the all-day, full-on, yeah. filtered coffee yeah. where it was just yeah. sort of, yeah. Tell me but about food in your house. What it's, is well... Two children. How many children are four? So I mean, four. At, at, we have four this weekend. Time. Yeah, um, they were all four at home. I mean, my speciality is the pancakes. Mm. I'd like to say I'm the pancakes person. Mm. Pitonesca. I have my dishes, but the pancakes. So in the mornings, I I can make crepes. I can make big fluffy pancakes, as they're called, mm. or I can do the green pancakes, which are. Romy, my youngest one, absolutely loves. She's very um, what are the green, vegetarian. What, what is that? How are they made? What's, what's it's um, they, they're basically uh, one egg, one banana, gluten-free flour, a handful of spinach, and uh, oh. cinnamon and vanilla. Yeah. And oh, and and a cup of almond milk, oh. and blitzed, and then and then fried in coconut oil, oh. and they puff up and they're absolutely they delicious. puff up do they, they puff up with yeah. a little bit of uh baking yeah. powder in there nice. and um and then with syrup something on the top, on the top. yeah aaron's good at cooking yeah. literally sort of it's like seven seven eight seven yeah. eight dishes are on the table when he cooks and yeah. 
I'm just like... That's so nice. But I that's, can't yeah. bake. Yeah. When Aaron ever goes into the kitchen to bake, we all are literally waiting for a blood splattering across uh. the wall. Because you're always... I once took it off with the, with the blender, didn't I? With the cherry pie. What was the blender know. thing that you, you pressed? Oh, yeah, press? the hand blender. Oh, yeah, he put yeah. his finger in it. Yeah, well, I was trying to take what was left over dough off around the... Things yeah, with my finger, mm. but my hand mm. was obviously gripping the top mm. of the the button, so it went mm. it went mm. and blitzed the top of my. Uh, <laughs> doesn't have much of a nail on that one. Don't. Took yeah. my finger off. Yeah. So what do you do for desserts? Do you have desserts? Just don't or do you just don't have it. them. Don't. You and Romy. Romy, our youngest, is a bit of a baker actually. Yeah. So we recently we got a apple really beautiful crumble. Yeah, a gorgeous apple orchard in Somerset. And and uh, with a mixture of cooking apples and cider apples and good eaters. And blackberries and, everywhere right and now. At the moment, there's mm. tons of blackberries. So recently, it was a blackberry um, and an apple crumble. My last questions to you, Aaron, and to you, Sam, would be: If you need food for comfort, is there a food that you would reach for? Marmite in a jacket potato is probably actually could trump the anchovy on toast, but marmite butter jacket potato that is my comfort food i know i'm looking at you no 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 that's fine thank you you will be you're my comfort oh my love love thank you you, sam thank Thank you you. thank you this was a joy thank you so much the river cafe lookbook is on sale a hundred pages of beautiful photographs that will inspire you to cook it's a lookbook it's a cookbook order one now Ruthie's Table 4 is a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon.